We will be flipping back and forth from Romans to Ephesians chapter 1, uh, the passage that Jeff read, Romans, and the Ephesians 1 passage that we're studying. So we will be flipping back and forth there. Uh, so if you wanted to stay kind of marked there <clears throat> so that we can go back and forth with those. Um, but, but before we even start all that, <laughs> please turn with me to John 17. And then we're going to pray, but let's just turn to John 17. I want to use John 17 as an introduction. So we have our Bibles, they're open, we're ready, I'm prepared, but the most important thing we need now is the Holy Spirit to come and to teach, and so let's pray together. Dear Lord, we pause one more time before we study your word, and we ask that you would please send your Holy Spirit, that this preaching would be a demonstration of your spirit and of power. Not only send it to me, I pray, as I seek to articulate these things that are so vast and so amazing and so beautiful. But Father, I ask and I pray that you would work in all of our lives, that you would give all of us, your spirit would be at work in our hearts, sifting through our minds, sifting through our hearts, taking this word, applying it to ourselves, that there would be the active ministry of you in this room right now and by your spirit and your presence with us. And so come, we pray, come Holy Spirit. Father, send us your spirit, we pray. Send us. Lord Jesus, come and descend and be amongst us as you promised where two or three are gathered. And please speak to us. And I pray that each one of us, especially those who are believers here, that we would walk away from here realizing how immensely privileged we are in you. Help us now, we pray. In Jesus, your precious name, we ask this. Amen. I'm having my devotions in John, and in John 17, Jesus said something that was, as he's praying, this is such an amazing chapter. It's Jesus' uh, final prayer, as it were, before uh, they go and the arrest comes. And notice what he says in verse 14 as he's praying. So this is Jesus speaking to his father. He says, I have given them your word. Here he's talking about his followers, his disciples who are still on earth. And the world hated them. Because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Look at that verse, by the way. That's amazing. These people of mine who have come to trust in me and believe in me are not of this world anymore. Just like I'm not of this world anymore. And then notice what he goes on to say. He says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. So they're not of this world, like I'm not of this world, but I want you to keep them in the world because they're to minister to the world. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus is saying that these men, these women who are followers of him, are not of the world anymore. They don't fit here. They don't belong here anymore. This isn't where they're from. Even though they were born in this world, they were of this world, they are not of this world. Today, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, okay? We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit because the book of Ephesians is going to lead us in that direction. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. There is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are one. They are one and yet three, and it is a mystery. They are God. All of them are fully God. God the Father is fully God. God the Son is fully God. God the Spirit is fully God. They are one. 
And the Holy Spirit dwells inside every single Christian. Now here I want you to look at Romans chapter 8. Look at the passage that Jeff just read for us. Romans chapter 8 and look at verse 9. It says this. It says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Now, now, by the way, notice this here. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. So obviously from that verse, every single Christian has the Holy Spirit. Notice, by the way, this idea when Jesus says they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Look at this passage here. You are not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit. And that's the, this is the same thing. It's, it's, it's this radical spiritual transformation that has taken place. Now, you have the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian here, you have the Holy Spirit. Now, the question is, well, how do I know if I have the Holy Spirit? Like, how do I, how do I know that? Well, first of all, you need to understand that when the Holy Spirit enters into a person's life, things start to change. Things become very different. And that's what we should expect. When the Spirit of God shows up and God's power comes, things should be different. And see, for the Christian, you if you are a Christian here today, you became a Christian by a powerful work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit actually made you, as it were, a Christian in that sense. The Holy Spirit gave you the new birth, the Bible says, that we are born of the Spirit. We are born, and, and, and it, the Holy Spirit is the, is, the, is the instrument of the new birth, okay? And so if you're born again, it's because of the Spirit. You're born of the Spirit. And that's a powerful work, and that's why the, word, the Bible uses such powerful uh, words for that. A new creation, you know, the old things have passed away. Uh, a resurrection from the dead. New life, being made alive from the dead. That's the way it speaks. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit came. And when the Holy Spirit gave you the new birth, made you a Christian, as it were, then that made you different. And you started to think that and think that and realize that something's going on in me and I'm different now. That's the Holy Spirit. Now, for some of you, that difference is very graphic in that I am not the person that I used to be. I, I remember what I was like and I was not what I am now, God has really changed me. I'm different than I was, say, five years ago. For some of you, that's where you're going to, you can say that because you became a Christian, perhaps after a certain portion of your young adult life or, I mean, young teenage life or adult life or whatever, you, you, had a, you have a contrast. Some of you don't have that contrast. Some of you may have been brought up in Christian homes and maybe you were saved at a very young age and, and you actually don't remember uh, a lot of, of being different. I was just talking to a man the other day, and, and he, he, that was his experience. I was brought up in a Christian home, and I honestly don't remember not walking with Christ. And, uh, and if that's your story, praise God. You have been immensely blessed. You don't carry all the scars of sin that others, you don't carry all the, praise God. But for you, you say, yeah, but then how would I know that I have the Holy Spirit? Well, for you, just like for the person who maybe can look back and see a change, for you, you become conscious of the fact that you are very different from the world. You are very different from how the people of the world think and how they act. You're just different. You're conscious of this. You're a Christian. You think different than they think. 
You, you act different than the way they act. You, you have different motivations than, than what they have. They think things are funny that you don't think are funny. They, they want to just keep talking about something, and you're, just, you're either bored of it or you just don't really want to talk about that stuff anymore. They, 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 they do things that are crude or unseemly or, or very mean or, or hurtful and, 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 or complaining or whiny, and, and you just don't want to... You, you used to be there with them, but you're just not there. Or, or for those of you who were brought up in, in a Christian home, it's like, I just feel different than those people. I'm just different inside than them. That's because the Holy Spirit lives within you. The Holy Spirit is dwelling in you. But not only that, if they hate you, they sometimes, the people of the world sometimes recognize that you're different. That you're different. We tell jokes, you don't laugh. We're into stuff, you're not into it. You think differently. You're motivated differently. You're a goody two-shoes. You think you're better than us. You're more holy. They can hate you. They can hate you because they recognize that you're different too. What is that? That is the Holy Spirit living within you. That's because God has transformed you and changed you. And when they hate you, it turns around that you don't hate them back. You you care for them. Now, at times when they do it, you, you may, the old flesh may, may round up, and that's a whole other story. But nevertheless, you, you, you love them, and you, you pity them, and you, you care for them. And, and what is that? That's the Holy Spirit within you. And you want to know God. They don't really care to know God. You want to know God. Why? That's the Holy Spirit within you. You go to church. You came to church today. Look, what are you doing here? Look outside there. It's beautiful. Get out. You should be out there. Doing, you know, to have, no, you said, no, I'm coming to church. I want to come to church. I want to know about God. I want to grow in God. I want to worship God. I want to sing praises to God. I want to be around God's people. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit working, working himself out of you. You pray. You pray. You don't just pray that rare occasion when you really, really, really need something. You pray. You talk to God. You want it. And if you, if you don't pray for a while or if you, you get sick or you get distracted or, or whatever and you, you don't have any time alone with God, you start to miss him. You, 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 you want that back. And, and you go and you make sure that that gets fixed and you fix it. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. And you're bearing fruit. You're growing in, in grace. You're growing in love. You're growing in patience. You used to be so, so quick-tempered, and, and you're starting to notice, I don't even know myself anymore. Like, I, I, I should, I, I usually would have blown up, but I, I'm not doing it. What's that? That's the Holy Spirit within you. I, I, I've had people say to me, what a woman say to me once here in this church, she said, I feel like I'm, God was working. God, her husband used to come to church here, and, and he used to, he's in glory now, but he used to come to church here, and he used to doodlefully just keep her happy and came to church here. And then he became a Christian. And she came back, she came, you know, a couple months later and then, and she said, I feel like I'm married to a totally different man. She was actually happy. <laughs> this is great. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads you. You're, you're doing things and, and you get convicted. I shouldn't be doing that or I shouldn't have said that. That's the Holy Spirit. He leads us. He convicts us. The Holy Spirit leads us. He gives us power to overcome temptation. I don't want to do this. God, give me grace. Give me help. I don't want to do this anymore. And he gives us power to overcome temptation. And the Holy Spirit comes and he tells us that we're God's children. And that gives us a sense of assurance. And, and, and we get joy in our salvation. And God seems real to us. What's that? That's the Holy Spirit within us. Look again. 
again at the passage here that Jeff read. Look at verse 14. As many as are, the son, are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. There's that leading. Do this. Don't do that. Be in conviction. You need to grow in grace. That's a, you need prayer. That's the Holy Spirit leading you. For we, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father, you are God, that closeness, that nearness. That's the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Verse 16, his spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Remember last week we talked about heirs? Here's the whole thing. Children, heirs, we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit bears witness to us. Now, turn with me to Ephesians 1. This is the passage that we're studying. I wanted to give you all of that for what we're just about to, to read and understand. Remember Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. This is the passage we've been spending a lot of time on because you have to, because this passage is so amazing. It's a passage of praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. He's praising God. And he's praising God for this incredible plan. Remember this plan, this plan that was planned out in eternity, chosen before the foundation of the world. God worked out this plan, and he's working this glorious plan out. And this plan is to show forth the glory of his grace and his mercy and his praise. And that plan involved him choosing us before the foundation of the world, him adopting us as his children, him sending his son Jesus and his Jesus' blood being shed upon the cross for us. It, it involves him gathering together all things under one headship, which is Jesus Christ, and God gave us an inheritance. And, and, and all of that is what we've been looking at so far. And this is sure, this is going to happen because God is sovereign. It will happen because God is working all things out according to the counsel of his will. And that's what we looked at last week. Look at verse 11. In him we also have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Here's our new material for this week. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Now that we here is referring to the early believers, especially the Jewish believers. We Jewish, Paul is writing as a, as a Jewish apostle. So where we were the, who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Look at verse 13. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed. Let's pause right there. Look at that verse again, 13. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also you have believed. Now, remember, it talks about, in fact, in verse 4, look at verse 4, that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Look at verse 5. He predestined us to adoption. Look at verse 11. Being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his will. We were chosen in Christ. We were chosen in Christ. We were predestined in Christ. We were in Christ before the foundation of the world. This was all set. But it comes real and it gets applied to us when we hear the word of God and we believe. Look at verse 13. After you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed. We hear the word. This is part of God's sovereign plan. The word is going to go out and the word is the means by which God is going to bring you to himself. And God is going to give you eternal life and such. I remember I, I've actually heard this a couple times in my life. I've heard a man say, yep, the minute I saw her, I said that woman's going to be my wife. She didn't even know it. 
She might not have even known his name. Well, and, and I'm giving you the reference. I'm not giving you any of the times when a guy said that and it didn't work out. I'm going to tell you about two guys that he said that and it did work out. That woman's going to be my wife. And now, the minute he said that, that woman's going to be my wife. She may not have even known him. She may not have even known his name. There's a lot that's going to need to take place before she actually says, I do, and if she gets a ring on her finger, okay? He's going to have to meet her. He's going to have to woo her. He's going to, they're going to get engaged. They're going to set a, we a wedding day. They're going to have a, a wedding ceremony. She's going to walk up the aisle, and then they're going to say, I do, and then he's going to be married to her. In other words, but he already said, that's the woman I'm going to marry. Well, in one sense, this is how this is working out in Ephesians 3. In verse 4, God says, I've chosen you. But then the reality of it, that when it works out into our lives and it becomes applied to us individually is verse 13. After having heard the word of truth of the, of the gospel of your salvation, you heard the gospel, the gospel came to you, the hope that there is in Jesus Christ, and then you believed in whom also having believed and you were enabled to believe, you were empowered to believe because the, the, the Holy Spirit was granting new birth and new life in you, enabling you to do that, okay? Now look at the next thing. End of verse 13, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Every Christian is sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, before we get to what does that mean, sealed, let me talk to you about what that doesn't mean, okay? This passage has been, and this idea has been misinterpreted. It's been misinterpreted by... Number one, our Pentecostal brethren, and they are our brethren. They're different than us in what they believe, but they are our brethren. They believe that the sealing of the Spirit and, and others, other, other, or, uh, other denominations that have second experience Christianity in their, in their theology, um, they see this as a second experience that takes place and, and not to every Christian, okay, necessarily, this sealing of the Holy Spirit. And sadly... Uh, the great Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones also fell into this error, and, and I, it's, 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 it's humbling to even criticize Dr. Lloyd-Jones, but he was dead wrong in, in, this, in, this, in this passage. And, and because notice what Paul is saying here. Paul, by the way, if you look at the end of the book of Ephesians, you know what you're not going to see? You're not going to see hardly any personal greetings. And if you're a Bible reader, you know that when you get to the end of the, of the, of the book, you're, there's a lot of personal greetings. Why is there no personal greetings at the end of the book of Ephesians? Well, number one, that doesn't make any sense in one sense because Paul clearly was in Ephesus and clearly knew the Ephesian elders. We know that for sure. Uh, but that's because this is believed to be more of a general circular letter that was going to go out into all of Asia, minor as well. To start with Ephesians and then it was going to go. And in the book of Colossians, he says, hey, get their letter, you read their letter, you get their letter, you read their letter. The point I'm trying to make is this. Paul was assuming that every single one of those Christians who were hearing this letter being read knew that they were sealed with the Holy Spirit. The sealing of the Holy Spirit is something that happens to all Christians. And the sealing of the Holy Spirit is not an experience. This is where our Pentecostal brethren and even Dr. Lloyd-Jones was wrong. It's not an experience that we feel. The sealing of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. And that's what, we're, and we're sealed with it. Look at chapter 40, I'm sorry, chapter 40, chapter 4 and verse 30. Look at chapter 4 and verse 30. Paul says this, 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He's telling them a fact. He's telling them that y'all were sealed by the Spirit of God. Now, look at that phrase for the uh, day of redemption. Remember that because we're going to come back to that. You were sealed for the day of redemption. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says this to the Corinthians. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God who has also sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Now notice, look at that passage. Again, Paul is saying, past tense, we have been sealed. He's telling the Corinthian Christians, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. All of you have been sealed. And also notice that he has been given, the Holy Spirit has, gave us the Spirit. Notice that the Spirit is what seals us. He has given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Notice that phrase, guarantee, there, because we're going we're gonna to come back to that soon, too. So let's, let's stop and let's say, well, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm looking at my Bible now. I'm looking at chapter 1 of Ephesians. I'm looking at the end of verse 13, and it says to me, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. What then does that word sealed mean? What does that mean to be sealed? And I'll give you some nuances to that meaning. It primarily, it means ownership, ownership, okay? It's to put your name on something. It's to put your name on something and say, this is mine. Now, I had two brothers and one sister. Then I had 11 children. Now I have 17 grandchildren, okay? And therefore, all my life, I have had a good, close companion, this isn't it because I don't dare bring it here. It's an indelible felt tip marker. An indelible felt tip marker. By the way, don't let any kid ever hold an indelible felt tip marker, okay? Or you got work on your hands. It's an indelible felt tip marker. It used to say on ball gloves and on soccer balls and on fishing rods, Todd. And then it used to say, Dad. Didn't mean anything, but it just, it was on there, you know. They still took it anyway. Dad. And now, Grandpa. 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 Still, it doesn't mean anything anyway. But, in, what am I doing there? I'm saying, this is mine. It's an indelible marker. You can't rub that off. This is mine. I own this. That's what this is. That's what the Greek word means here. It's a sign of ownership. It's an indelible marker. In the Wild West, it was a brand that was on your cap. Burned right in your cow was your initials. And if anybody else was found with that cow, they could be strung up, they could be hung, they could be shot because that's cattle rustling. Because look, that's my cow because it has a brand on it. That's what this word means. Sealed. Mine. I own it. And not only that, it brings with it the protection of the owner. This is mine. Hands off. This is mine. Hands off. It's the word that actually is used in the, new, in, in the book of Matthew when Jesus' tomb is sealed by the Roman government. It's, there was a seal there, said, hands off, this is a, this, nobody's to touch this. We have sealed this stone against her. That's what it means. And this is what God does, does with, the, with the Christian. He gives them the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is that mark upon them, that indelible mark that they have by him living in them that says, this one is mine. Hands off, 
I declare ownership of mine. I've sealed them. I've stamped them. I've written with an indelible mark. And the Bible actually uses that kind of language. We're going to see it in just a minute here. But in 2 Corinthians, Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19, it says this. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. There's the word. The Lord knows those who are his. Isn't that beautiful? The Lord knows those who are his. Oh, that one's mine. He's got the seal. There's mine. Sealed. Here's mine. Let me take out my indelible marker. That's mine. That's mine. That's mine. That's what God is doing. He's giving the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit is the seal, and he sees the seal. That's mine. In Revelation chapter 7, it's an amazing passage, and we studied this several weeks ago in our Revelation chapter. I love how this is set. All of a sudden, everything gets quiet, and there's these four angels mighty angels and they're holding back and this is interesting given what happened yesterday they're holding back the four winds from destroying the earth well they're ready to do it they're ready to send it they're ready to send these cyclones in and god says stop stop he brings an angel down the angel says stop stop everybody stop don't do it and then notice verse two it says this then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal, there it is, of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, which have been blown all over. We can feel this verse today. Till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. That's the exact word that Paul is using here in Ephesians 1.13. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. All Christians have been sealed. Now, the other thing that this word means is it means certification or authentication. You are the real deal. You are the real deal. We lost Jan's social security card once. And so we went to get a new social security card, and they said, okay, bring your birth certificate. So we brought what we thought was her birth certificate because it's what they gave her, her parents, and then they gave it to us, and they had signed it, and it was all there. And we thought that it was her, her birth certificate. And so we took it in, we brought it there, and they said, nope, can't take this. I said, why? It's her birth certificate. And they said, no, 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 this isn't a birth certificate. This is a record of live births, like... This is a record of live births. Well, what's the difference? You see the seal that's on here? There's nothing raised. It's not raised. We need the one that has the raised seal on it. So we had to go, and we had to go to McKeesport Hospital to have them give us and reassure us a new one that had a raised seal on it because that shows that it's authentic. That's the same thing is true for any kind of license. That's the kind of thing. Think of the deed for your house. The deed for your house has to have some kind of notarization, maybe a notary public or somebody, witnesses had to be there or something, or this was recorded in the thing and then there's this notary, something that authenticates it. And this passage, uh, this word means an authentication. You are the real deal. You are the real deal. God has authenticated you as his own. To the whole world. Why? The Holy Spirit's there. The Holy Spirit's on you. The Holy Spirit's at work. The Holy Spirit is there. You have the Holy Spirit. You are sealed. But notice another thing about this seal. Look at verse 14. Who is a guarantee. See, the Holy Spirit is the seal. The Holy Spirit is also the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, notice here. 
that the Holy Spirit is not only a seal, but he's a guarantee. Now, this word also can mean down payment. It can mean pledge. Think of hand money. Think of a security deposit. Think of something like that. Say somebody goes to buy a car, and they say, well, I want this car. I really want this car. I want to buy this car. I've got to go to my bank, and I'll be back. I want to have this car. Don't sell this car. I want this car. And the guy says, okay, it's your car. It's your car. Listen, put some money down. So here, here's $100. That's my car. Yes, I'll take it off the mark. I'll take the sign off it. I won't sell it. It's your car. You put the money down. It's your car. You just come back. Give me that. That's what it is. A house. Somebody goes to buy a house, and they put hand money down, put $2,000 down. Once that $2,000 is down, then the realtor says, this is now under contract. If somebody calls and says, hey, I'm interested in that house. I saw your sign. The realtor says, no, 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 it's under contract. It's under contract. I have to let you know it's under contract. That means that there has been a down payment down. The first installment has been made. And when the people go to close on that house, they don't, have to, they don't get that $1,000 back. They don't, they, they, that $1,000 goes toward the price of the house. Then they just add more. And so it's an installment. It's a down payment. And that's the word that Paul is using here by saying that the Holy Spirit is the first installment. He's the down payment. He's the pledge. He's the guarantee of more to come. He's the one who says, here's my $100. I'm going to the bank. I'll be back. I want that car. That's my car. Here's my down payment. That's my pledge that I'm coming back. Here's my hand money. That's my pledge. This is my first payment. This is a down payment. And that's the word that's being used here. Look at how beautiful this is, verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Again, Listen, we, we put 1 Corinthians 1 up. Let's put it up. 2 Corinthians 1 up. Let's put it up again. Notice how Paul uses this. Who also has sealed us and has given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee and a down payment. Notice he's using both of the same words that's used in Ephesians. The Holy Spirit is the seal. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee or the down payment. In a couple of chapters later in 2 Corinthians, he says the same thing. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee, as a down payment. A guarantee and a down payment of what? Of what? Look at verse 14. Who is a guarantee of our inheritance, that's what we looked at last week, right? Until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Eh. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Time out. What does this mean, a down payment of our redemption until our redemption? Wait a minute. We've already have redemption. Look at verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. So why do we have a down payment for something that we already have? What is this redemption? Now, let me give you a little, let me, let me pause here for a second. Take a breath here and give you a little pause for a second. When the Bible speaks of salvation, when the Bible speaks of redemption, it will speak about it in terms sometimes that are past tense, in terms sometimes that are present tense, and in terms sometimes that are future tense. We have been saved. The Bible will speak about that. You've been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. So in Christ Jesus, we're saved. He who endures to the end will be saved. The Bible speaks of past, present, future. The same thing with redemption. We have redemption, and yet there's more redemption to come, as it were. That's why we have a down payment. That's why we have a first installment, because we do have redemption right now. 
Verse 7 tells us, look, in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of grace. Yes, we do have a redemption. We have redemption. Our sins are forgiven. We are the sons of God. We have been adopted. We have the Spirit. The Spirit testifies within us that we are the sons of God. We have all of that. We have obtained an inheritance. It is as good as yours. This inheritance is yours. And yet, in a very real sense, this redemption, this salvation, this inheritance, although it's ours, and we have the down payment, there is still so much more yet to come. We have it already, and yet not yet. And that's this idea of the already and not yet. There is more to come, much more to come. We will enter into the fullness of it. I could put a down payment on a car. I could put a down payment on a car, and I could come back, and I could say to my friends, hey, guys, check out this car. Check out, I could show them on my phone, check out this car. Check out this Mustang. I bought this Mustang. It's a 1966 Mustang. I can't believe it was available. I bought this Mustang. It's mine. It's mine. I can't believe it. Well, I don't actually have it yet, but I have the down payment. I'm getting the bank. I'm getting all the, But once I have the title, once I have it in my name, once I have the keys, once I drive it off the lot, then I really, really have it. And that's what's being said here. We have redemption, and yet there's more to come. There's more to come. We're under contract. We're under contract. We're under contract for what our, we're, we're going to inherit. But there's more to come. There's more to come. We will come to the full inheritance of it. Turn with me back to Romans 8 and look at how Paul puts it there. Romans 8. Notice what it says there. Romans 8, 23. Not only that, but we who have the first fruits, there's our down payment, there's the guarantee, there's the seal. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within us, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. What is still yet to come. What is the full possession of it? The full possession of it is the new heavens and the new earth. Resurrected bodies. Bodies that, are, that, that, that show forth the glory like the body that Christ has. Eternal life. That sense of, of, of living forever in the presence of God. Very face to face. God with us. We with God walking as we sang this morning. I will walk in Zion with the King. I will be in his presence in, 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 in unceasing praise and worship and glory. That's what's going to come. And the Holy Spirit is a down payment and a seal and a guarantee that we are going to get this. You see, dear friends, that's what we need to understand. A change is happening. Something is happening in you because you have the Holy Spirit. And that change is a foreshadowing, a foretaste, a down payment of what is going to come. Have you ever had any joy in your salvation? Have you ever just had any joy? I hope you've had a lot of joy, but joy in your salvation. Joy, rejoicing, gladness that you are saved. That comes from the Holy Spirit. It's one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is this joy. But that's only a tiny little foretaste. That's only a down payment of what you will enter into. I love in, 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 in Matthew 25, Jesus tells the story of the king and the king saying, you know, and when the king says this, he says, come into the joy of your salvation. Come into the joy of my kingdom. Heaven is a place of joy. It's known for joy. Do you have joy now? That's a little foretaste. Do you have peace do you have love for God? That's just a foretaste. But it's, it's a down payment. It's a, it's a guarantee. It's a seal that you're going to get the rest. 
He who has begun a good work in you will complete it on the day of Jesus Christ, Paul told the Philippians. Are, are you changing? Are you changing inside? Is your sin of anger being replaced by patience? Is your sin of malice being replaced by love? Is your sin of worry being replaced by, by trusting? Are you growing? Are you changing? That's a down payment. That's, that's just a mini little foretaste of what is to come. Is your marriage being enriched because of Christ at work in you and in your Is your family life being enriched because of what Christ has done? That's a down payment. That's a future. That's, that's what's your future. It's just beginning. The future is beginning now. The new heavens and the new earth are beginning now. The redemption of the world is beginning now. The glory of Christ is beginning now. It's beginning in us. It's beginning in ways that I'm growing near to God. I'm growing. I love God. Have you ever come to this place? Have you ever come in this place? I hope there's a regular, it's my regular experience. I hope it's yours. You come into this place and you're worshiping God and you're being fed by the word and you're meeting and fellowshipping with people who finally get you. After a whole long week at work, these people finally get you and you feel resonant with them. You feel close with them. You feel like these people are closer than your family is, your physical family is who aren't believers. And you feel, and there's this, and what is this? This is a foretaste. This means the kingdom of God is here on earth. The kingdom of God is growing. This new heavens and new earth is happening. This future inheritance is coming. These are all down payments. These are all uh, uh, deposits. These are all the fact that we have been sealed. It's happening. It's unfolding. And what Paul is saying, by this seal is it is absolutely 100% guaranteed you're going to heaven there's going to be a new heavens and new earth Christ is going to reign you're going to have a new body you're going to be sinless one day you're going to stand as a child of the living God and glow with glory you're going to be above angels you're going to own this whole world it's going to be ours and the skies and the heavens and the planets, it's all, and Jesus is going to be with us. And the Father is going to dwell in our, in our presence. And we are going to live forever and ever in joy and in harmony and peace. And how do you know that time? It's already beginning. It's already happening. I'm different. I'm different. I'm different than the world. I'm not better. I'm a sinner saved by grace, but I'm different. I think differently. I value things differently. And I'll tell you, as I'm getting older, it's really showing. You know why? Because living longer isn't really attractive to me on this earth. Going to heaven is. Going to heaven is. So when my doc says, Todd, I think you should start taking this stuff. I'm like, eh, I'm not sure. Why? Well, you're keeping me from heaven, you know, doc. You're keeping me from glory. You're keeping me from joy. You're keeping me from peace. You're keeping me from happiness. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about this, Doc. Now, again, please don't take your medical advice from me. But take your spiritual advice from me. Take your spiritual advice. This is what it means. And guess what? If this is already happening in you, that means that what's to come is, is going to happen. There's a guarantee. It's a seal. It's going to happen. But you know what's beautiful too? What Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 say on what already took place is true too. Like I got to seal the Holy Spirit. I'm changed. The Holy Spirit's working in my life. I'm different. That means <gasps> before the foundation of the world, God chose me. 
And he chose me in Christ. And he chose me to adoption. And he sent his son to die for me. <gasps> I have the down payment. Dear ones, this is all true. It's You're a true, genuine, certified, stamped, sealed Christian. Because you have the Holy Spirit. Now some of you here may be saying, well, I know very little of this, Todd. You're kind of not talking to me a little bit here. You know, I, all, all I do all week long is struggle with sin and fall into sin and fall into temptation. And, fall, and I'm, I'm, I don't know this joy. I don't know. The, I'm not sure the Holy Spirit is transforming me and changing me. I'm not sure what's going on here. Well, let me ask you this. Do you trust in Jesus alone for your salvation? Yes, I do. But perhaps you've grieved the Holy Spirit. Perhaps you're consistently grieving the Holy Spirit. You see, in Ephesians 4.30, Paul says this. He says this. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed with the day of redemption. How do you grieve the Holy Spirit? You don't follow his promptings. You don't follow his leadings. You don't, you don't seek after him. You don't seek after God. You're lazy, maybe. You're distracted, maybe. You're filled with unbelief, maybe. You're lethargic. You're dabbling and toying with the world again and with its sin. You're being drawn back in and you're letting it draw you back in and you're not fighting, you're not resisting, you're not calling upon the Spirit. You're not asking God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me. Listen to what Ephesians 5 says. We're going to get up to this, but listen to what Ephesians 5 says in verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. How many of you ask for the Holy Spirit? How many of you ask God? The Bible says, Jesus said, ask the Father. He's a good Father. If you ask for bread, he's not going to give you a snake or a stone. If you ask, if you ask for food, a fish, he's not going to give you a serpent. He, he's a good Father. He gives good gifts. He will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Ask God to send your Holy, the Holy Spirit to you. Ask God to, to help you. Ask God to fill you. Ask the Spirit of God to come into your presence in, in, in greater power and might. Ask the Holy Spirit to, get it, to be at work in your life. Ask God to come. Tell God you need Him. Tell God you need the Spirit. Tell God you're hungering and thirsting for him, the, the Holy Spirit. Tell the Holy Spirit that when He leads you, you're going to follow. And what He says you're going to do. And you're going to start seeking after God. And you're going to start shutting the world out. And you're going to start moving to Toward God, and God will fill you with the Spirit, and fill you with the Spirit, and fill you with joy, and fill you with love, and fill you with happiness, and fill you with the sense of His presence. And as you continue to be filled with this Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit is the seal. The Holy Spirit is a guarantee. The Holy Spirit is the down payment. And you begin to experience God through the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to start to say, "Wow, this is all real. This is all happening." This is all true. Oh, dear ones, I want you to have that assurance. His spirit testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. Seek after God. And then finally, a brief word to the unconcerned here. I'm talking about the young person who's been dragged to church because mom and dad makes you to come. I'm talking about the spouse that's been dragged here. I'm talking about somebody who came here and you don't even want to be here. and You wish I'd shut up and so you could go home. I'm going to talk to you for just one second. Do you see that person who brought you here? That parent, that spouse, that friend who brought you here? Are you noticing something about them? Are you noticing that God is working in their lives and they're changing? Well, I want you to understand something. This is you. This is them. They are drifting 
away from you. Oh, they love you. Oh, they love you so much. But they're drifting away from you. Why? Because they're moving toward their home and their kingdom and where they belong, the new heavens and the new earth, salvation in heaven. They're slowly drifting away from you. The distance between you and them is getting greater and greater and greater because they're being transformed and changed into the image of God. They're, the Holy Spirit is moving and working there. They're drifting away from you. And one day they're going to be gone from you. And unless you come to Christ, unless you come to God, unless you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, unless you have the new birth, unless that is true for you, they'll be gone forever. And you will deepen and deepen your drift, and you will eventually be in hell. You will be sealed off from them. The door will be shut, and it will clang shut, and you'll never hear of them, see of them, know them again. And you'll be in darkness and you'll be in sin and you'll be in ugliness and you'll be in regret and you'll be in remorse and you'll be in a place where everybody hates you and you hate yourself forever. And this is all the reason that now, the day of salvation, now, this is all the reason. I don't care if you're 6, 16, 26, 96. Today is the day of salvation. God is standing right there saying, come. Jesus is saying, come unto me. I'll save you. And I'll give you my Holy Spirit. I'll give you eternal life. I'll seal you forever. Come. Come just as you are. Come with all of your sin, stains of your sin. Turn away from your sin. Repent from that. Have nothing to do with sin. Take me alone. Say no to your sin. Say yes to me. And I'll make you, I'll make you one of my own forever. Oh, dear ones, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. And I would hope that there isn't one person here who at this point is not saying, oh, God, I come. Oh, God, yes. And that's all you have to do. That's all you have to do. It's by grace. Just bow your heads with me now and, and just say, God, I come. Lord Jesus, save me. I believe in you. I'm taking you up at your promises. I'm fleeing into your arms. Oh, dear God, save me. And there's no one who has sincerely preached, prayed that prayer. Jesus says, I will not turn away any, any. He's the one inviting you. Let's pray together. Father, for those of us who are here today and we've known something of your transforming power in our lives, we've been reminded today that that power isn't some nameless power. It's the person of the Holy Spirit. We've been sealed. We've been marked out as yours. Your mark is on us. You've owned us. And we've also been given a down payment. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you that every time we sing a song, every time we feel your presence, it's a down payment of a glorious, glorious redemption coming. We're bound for the promised land. We're going to heaven. We're going to inherit the kingdom. Nothing will stop that. Thank you. Father, for those who are here today, the children that are here today, the teenager that's here today, the older person that's here today that isn't right with you. They know they're not. 
Oh, Father, I just pray that you will save them. As they call out upon you now, as they say, Lord Jesus, please save me. Give me eternal life. I believe. I pray, Father, that you will save them. I pray that you will open their eyes. I pray that you will give them eternal life. I pray that you will seal them today with your Holy Spirit. Father, you are gracious. You are good. Thank you for this wonderful gospel. We pray this in your precious name.